electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to what is a wild Wednesday. And what a day for you to be with us, certainly from stocks to Bitcoin and mini commodities. There is a lot of selling on Wall Street today. Oh, by the way, a Fed rate statement coming up in just about an hour. Markets gone wild. How options, short sellers and Internet message boards are creating some of the most incredible stock moves we have ever seen. And iPads and Model 3s, Apple and Tesla on deck to star in a huge night of earnings, a below-deck preview of both and how to play it. All right, everybody, welcome. A lot to do and no better place than with what is moving in this market. Dom Chu, no doubt, with a lot more to say on this whole thing. Dom, what are you looking at? in the data bank. So many moving parts right now. There are so many different stories playing out in the market as we speak. First of all, from a macro level, we are in a sell-off right now for the overall market. The Dow Industrial is currently down about 300 points, roughly 1%. At the lows of the day, we were down roughly 584 points, to put a little bit of perspective on that. At the highs of the day, still down about 43, not long after the opening bell. The S&P 500 right now drift, just drifting below 3,800, off one and one-third of 1%, and 1% losses for the NASDAQ composite, 13,491 the last trade there. There are fundamental stories that are playing out in some of the stock moves that we're seeing. Microsoft shares gets a gold star because it hits a record high today, up about 2% on the heels of stronger-than-expected earnings. Cloud computing driving a lot of the optimism there. Boeing, meanwhile, down 3%, a big drag for the Dow there. It comes out with a much bigger loss than expected on a quarterly basis. And then 3M getting an analyst upgrade, helping to kind of power things up 6%. And, of course, you mentioned the stratospheric parabolic-type moves in some of these highly shorted stocks. GameStop up another 130% today. That's off the highs of the session. AMC up another 210% today. And then Bed Bath & Beyond up another 27%. By the way, again, for more context for GameStop, over the last one year, Brian, this stock is now up roughly over 7,300% during that time span. And remember, this was a $20 stock just about two short weeks ago. Certainly a lot of attention being paid to by not just traders, but regulators these days as well, Bri. I will send things back over to you. Well, well, not yet. I'm not done with it yet, Dom, because we got a couple of really good guests on GameStop and the options market coming up. But as a former fund guy, it was a lot of talk in that excellent interview that Scott did with Chamath. They talked about shorting more than 100% of the float of a company. Explain to our audience exactly what they're talking about, because I tweeted out and I've, I've been saying for a long time that market structure, some of this, I don't want to call it naked shorting, but some of the way that these these options and shorts have been structured, no doubt contribute to what is going on with some of these names today. So so the broad sense, the, the, the layman's way to look at, at this is that you can borrow stock from somebody else to then sell to repay it back later on. Here's the issue, though. 
you can borrow that stock, right? And then somebody else can borrow that stock and somebody else can borrow that stock as well. So it can be lent out multiple times in the current market structure that we have. It's one of the things that many traders and investors and regulators will look at with regard to how you can get this kind of market activity. But a lot of folks are asking me, how can you short 130% of a company's outstanding shares it is because every share that's out there can be borrowed, but then borrowed again in some way or shape or form on top of that. So it's something to pay attention to for sure, something I'm sure a lot of regulators will be watching very closely, given the GameStop action, given what's happening with BlackBerry, Bed Bath & Beyond, and all these other stocks, including AMC. Brian. Well, it's a perfect segue. Perfect segue, Dom, because exactly what we're going to talk about right now with a regulator. Let's bring in William Galvin. He is Secretary of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, calling for a 30-day cooling off period for some of these names. Secretary Galvin, so, so go into why you believe that we need to maybe just put a hold on GameStop and some others. Well, first of all, it's a great risk to many of the unsophisticated investors who are investing in it, whatever their basis is. I've talked to some of these people. I think we've all recognized that the current pandemic has created an, a unique situation where many people have gotten into day trading, really have no idea exactly what they're doing. It's something that they're trying to figure their way as they go. These types of entities, uh, such as GameStop, have created a, a, a really difficult situation for these people. They think they're missing out if they don't make a bet on them. Uh, they don't really understand what they're doing. I think small-time investors like that, unsophisticated investors, are going to be hurt by this. Moreover, I think it really is a risk to the broader market. The point that was just made about the structural issue, the systemic issue of the shorting that's going on when you have this excess interest in a stock beyond what the issue is, that has to be addressed. It has to be addressed immediately because that represents a risk Why? to the overall market. Well, because it creates uncertainty in the marketplace. You know, the dot-com bubble of 1999, I was regulated then also, came about because of a and lot I, of uncertainty in the And I, and I in interviewed market. you, Mr. Secretary, <laughs> on well, it says a at lot about time. both of us, so I guess. But my, my yeah, point is, is it's that good it's a not, risk. But, but the point, yeah, go ahead. It's a risk to the marketplace. Uh, the marketplace should be a place where risk is taken, but not reckless risk and not a situation that undermines the entire system. And that's what we're looking at here. Uh, this is irrational. As it was just noted, the, the moves in these stocks, both up and down, are, in GameStop, I'm speaking of specifically, is irrational. It makes absolutely no sense. It has no basis in reality. That is not what you want in a capital market. No, and, and the reason that we, we mentioned 1999, and I'm not saying this is 1999 because we both remember there were companies that were trading at $20 billion market caps that had no value, were inventing all these metrics, right. all these new non-GAAP type earnings measured by eyeballs. This is a little different. To, to Chamath's point and Scott's point in the interview before us, they talked about fundamental valuations. GameStop's fundamental prospects are not 1,700% better today than they were a couple of days ago. You've got names like, you know, I don't even want to say them because they might move if I utter them, tiny microcap no. stocks of formerly bankrupt video stores, things like that. No. Why do they even have options on some of these stocks? Well, they shouldn't. Uh, and that's why at, at this point, we have a new administration coming in and hopefully the, re the national regulator will take action. I believe they will. But in the short run, I think it's certainly within the power of, of the marketplace itself in this case, to, to, suspend star, to suspend it. They shouldn't be providing a forum for this type of activity because it's dangerous not only to the investors, but it's dangerous to the marketplace. 
Well, but to be fair, the, these retail, and then by the way, let's be clear, not everybody on Reddit is a retail investor. I, I can guarantee you there are very wealthy hedge fund managers no. trolling around on there as well. There are people with, you know, Bloomberg terminal screenshots. Bloomberg terminal is like $27,000 right. a year. So let's just be clear. There are sophisticated, wealthy investors also on some yes. of these message boards. And what's interesting is that if that's the case, and I'm, you know, if the retail investor wants to risk all their money and make it, good for them. Love it. Hedge fund loses their money, too bad. I agree with that. But let's say there's a hedge fund that is obeying the rules over here, but they've got employees who maybe are not obeying the rules over there under pseudonyms on message boards. What then? What exactly should regulators be doing? Well, again, we're going to do the best we can. I mean, we understand it is there is inherent risk in the market, and we, no one's trying to make that go away. We don't want it. We want that. That's what makes it grow. On the other hand, when it becomes reckless, when it becomes fraud as opposed to froth, that's when I think things have to be dealt with. And I think in this case, there's a real risk to the marketplace, there's a risk to the economy. We recognize it's a very volatile time. We've been talking about it all year as we've been going through the pandemic. This is an example of that. And I think it has to be dealt with and dealt with as best we can without doing great damage to the marketplace. Moreover, I think that there's a, there is not just a risk to these investors, but there's, a, as you point out, a lot of this is being fueled by social media. We didn't have that in 1999. But in many ways, it's analogous to what we've just gone through yeah. in the political context, where you had rumors and misstatements and deception going through the social media that had to be dealt with. Uh, we, we, in the regulated marketplace, I think there's an opportunity to deal with it in the marketplace, and I think that's what has to happen. I do think this calls out for national regulation. So let me, and I do uh, we think have, there will Mr. Ser Secretary, Secretary Galvin, yeah, we have to go, and I'm sorry to jump in. I got the one question I will ask you. So there's been a lot of talk about Section 230 uh, of the Internet policies being changed by the Biden administration or adjusted. I know that's a little bit off topic, except do you believe that there might be regulation around uh, that type of speech that would affect financial conversation as well, like what we're talking about? Well, it could, but it will probably come from the financial side. I mean, I think I do expect that the new administration will, in fact, have a more aggressive stance towards regulation in the broader marketplace, and it may well get it, come at it that, from that direction. William Galvin, Secretary of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, pleasure to have you back on. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. So, folks, if you are confused about what exactly we're talking about with options and what may be going on with game stocks, do not worry. It is a professional's market and it can be a very difficult market to understand. So let's chat now with one of the few people in finance who actually probably does this exact thing for a living. Joining us now is Chris Murphy. He is co-head of derivative strategy at Susquehanna Financial Group, big players in options and big players in market making in GameStop as well, by the way. So it's an important interview, Chris. By the way, I think your first ever on CNBC. So welcome. In layman's terms and not using terms like gamma squeeze, tell us exactly what is happening with GameStop and others vis-a-vis -vis their options. So... You know, the GameStop situation has been widely reported, epic short squeeze, coordination of retail uh, on the message boards being a major catalyst. Um, in my opinion, uh, I think the call volume has come after that. You know, we've been watching all of this um, retail, what we call message board call volume, and it typically chases 
momentum as opposed to being the, the uh, catalyst for it. And the reason uh, I can be confident in saying that is I think people will be surprised to hear that open interest in GME calls from the beginning of this year to now pretty much has not changed. So we're talking about open positions in the calls since the beginning of this year when GME was 13 till now. So what is that telling us? All of this call volume on a daily basis appears to be chasing the momentum as opposed to causing it. You see opening and closing in the same day. And at the end of the day, you don't see a much of a change in the open interest in the most active call strikes. And that's different than what we're seeing on the put side right now. So how much of this is really deep out of the money call buying, Chris? And, and for, again, for our audience there, and I'm not going to pretend I'm a pro either, you know, if a stock's at 100, you might buy a call option at 200. You're buying huge, placing huge long-term bets on fast and aggressive price appreciation. So if it hits those targets, you can mint a lot of money. And by the way, many people have. How many of these options bets are, on, on names like a GameStop, are spectacular out-of-the-money bets that have been, by the way, paying off? Well, a huge proportion of them are. Um, you know, part of it's, you know, they're, they're less, they cost less. You can, you can buy more of them, things like that. But what is interesting is you'll see this huge amount of volume, let's say in a $50 out of the money strike that expires in a week. Um, you know, in theory would be somewhat unrealistic, but then you look at GameStop and, and maybe not. But, uh, at the end of the day, when you look at the open positions that are carried into the next day, uh, you don't see much of a change. So what's that, what that's telling you is these call buyers or call traders are holding on to these positions for less than a day, opening and closing over the course of the day, sometimes multiple times. So what you'll see is, uh, for example, yesterday you have more call volume trading in one day in GME than the total number of existing positions heading into that day. Uh, but because all those, what? a lot of, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, 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 I honestly, Chris, I, I don't, I don't dig into options trades for a living, no doubt, but. I'm not sure I've ever heard of the call buying and selling volume exceeding the volume of the calls that are available. So what you're saying is there are people who are clearly buying and selling options multiple times on GameStop during the same day. Yeah, just, just to break it down, we're talking about the volume number, the number of calls that change hands over the course of one day uh, versus the total open positions um, called open interest uh, that you see the mm -hmm. next day. And we're seeing that these huge volume numbers, but not much of a change in the call open interest the next day, which is, which is saying so much of this is both opened and closed in the same day. And that's different than what we've been seeing over the last couple of days on the put side. Uh, put open interest has mm -hmm. been increasing dramatically. It's up 3x since the beginning of the year. And meanwhile, call open interest really hasn't changed much. So the put positions so appear what to be. So, what does that? What does that? What does that tell you, Chris? I mean, this this whole kind of the genesis of this story has been, you know, retail on one side, institutional on the other, and I think you know you could make an argument that you're seeing something similar potentially in the calls when you have um, call volume and call trading having more of the footprint that we've been um, you know talking about for a year now uh, that retail has, and then you see. Uh, the put side having open interest increasing, along with the story of institutions being short the stock, having to to buy it back to close. They might still have convictions in their bets, so instead they move over to uh, 
long, potentially long puts in yeah. where you, um, you have a, a limited, they're expensive, but a limited max loss. Yeah, I got about 100 more questions, but I, I, I'm out of time. I got one quick one I got to throw in there. So when you look at the volumes on the trades of calls and puts or versus puts, does it look like it's retail, <clears throat> excuse me, on the call side and, you know, hedge funds on the put side? Or is there some retail investors also messing around on the put side or maybe some hedge funds on the call side? It really is impossible to tell. Um, you know, we typically look at these smaller lot trades and think maybe that's more of that's retail. And if you get a really big block of options, you think that's more likely to be institutional. But um, but I think it's a mixed bag. But I would say a, a key takeaway is the calls seem to be open and closed in the same day. We Meanwhile, the puts appear to be being held um, longer term. Chris Murphy, Susquehanna Investment Group there. Really pleasure to get you on CNBC in an important day, certainly. And I'll let you get back to work. I'm I'm sure you're busy, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, all the attention, folks, has been on GameStop as well. And Wells Fargo, though, putting out together a list of highly shorted names that they're actually recommending as buys as well. So now big Wall Street firms are not only getting into the game, but they're talking about the game as well. To get some of those names, head to cnbc.com slash pro for those as well. All right. Coming up. The Fed rate statement coming up at the top of the hour. Is QE anywhere near being on its way out? Or will the nearly free money fueling much of this market just keep on coming? And Apple, the biggest stock in the market, set to release its numbers after the bell. A lot is riding on them. Will Tim Cook and company deliver the exchange back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Well, overall, stock sliding is the huge rally in names like GameStop raises concerns about speculation in the market. Many are starting to believe that the Fed's ultra-low rate free money strategy might just be contributing to this wild volatility. Imagine that. Let's talk about everything that's going on and the Fed rate call and decision coming up in just under an hour. Is Joining us now, Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, Julia Coronado, founder of Macro Policy Perspective, and Subhaja Rajapa, head of U.S. rate strategy at Societe Generale. I promise all of you will talk about the Fed and rates and not talk about GameStop and Reddit. But, Brian Belsky, I will ask you, if you're a fundamental fund manager in this market right now, do you kind of just sit back, get some popcorn, and kind of watch what's going on and not participate? Because it's, it's a little wild out there. It is. Thanks for having us. And it's always great to share Fed Day with Subhadra and Julie. So thanks for having us. I would say this, you know, I'm, I'm from Minnesota, as you know, and Chicago's pretty close. So I'll take some Chicago popcorn with the caramel and the uh, cheese corn and kind of sit back and watch this happen. Because quite frankly, this has nothing to do with fundamentals. And I think uh, we as, as market pundits should not be talking about GameStop or Tesla or Bitcoin being signs of a bubble. I, I, you can't extrapolate that into being an entire market bubble. I think the market, in from, from an earnings perspective, and we're going to transition into an earnings-driven market the second half of the year, and true fundamental investors that manage real-life money know this. So this is just a sideshow. 
Uh, and we think it's just going to provide, prove an opportunity that investors should have a wealth management specialist, should have a process, yeah. and should have a discipline in terms of how they manage their money, Brian. Yeah, but it's different. They're, listen, these, these people, they're, a lot of them are winning. They're making a lot of money paying off their student loans. God bless them. I mean, that's what it is. They're gambling, and a lot of them are winning, and good for them. Julia, outside of that, um, how much is there a way to quantify, though, perhaps how much 0% interest rates and QE might be contributing to market excess in either direction? I mean, it's, it's hard to, to quantify that. I mean, obviously, when the Fed sort of caught the falling knife in March and April, that was a big underpinning of uh, allowing the market to look past the pandemic and focus on, you know, the brighter days on the other side uh, that short-circuited the crisis from becoming a financial crisis. That's all good. Beyond that, I mean, I would say what we've got now is a Fed that's committed to supporting the recovery till it's fully done. We've got fiscal policy that's actually working in the right direction instead of pulling back too early, which is what we had last time. Uh, and so, and a lot of good positive scientific developments. So there is a real fundamental optimism. And whenever there's fundamental optimism, real grounds for optimism, you always get a certain amount of speculation on top of that. I mean, you could, you could characterize the late 90s as that, right? We had an actual technology, productivity, profitability boom. It was a wonderful time for the U.S. economy. Yeah. And it had a layer of speculation on top of that. I think from the Fed's perspective, is it a systemic risk is the question. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Yeah, And you're well said. We've created a new economy with the Internet. There was some stuff on top, froth, bubbles, whatever you want to call it. And now we're building out a new cloud-based economy in many ways. Plus, by the way, vaccines over a million a day now and accelerating pretty rapidly as well. So there's some reason to be optimistic there. But Subhadra, from a rates perspective, and I don't want to take anything away from the rate decision and the very fine program after this one, do we expect the Fed to make any changes? No. I mean, I think that the Fed has already laid the roadmap for this year. We know that they're going to keep asset purchases uh, at the current pace, perhaps, till the end of this year. And we also know that they're fo very focused on inflation. They want inflation to remain above 2% on a sustainable basis. And they want to sort of stick to this flexible average inflation target. So for the most part, I think that we already know what they're, what they're going to do, perhaps, for the remainder of the year. So we're not really expecting a whole lot at this meeting uh, in about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Brian, I'll wrap it up with you because, listen, the GameStop stuff, that, that's, those are bets being placed, and it's, it's an awesome thing to watch in so many ways. Some of these big hedge funds getting theirs, if, if, for lack of a better term. But if you're just a, a boring old investor out there buying the S&P 500 or buying the NASDAQ 100 triple Q ETF, are you going to be higher by the end of the year than you are today? And I don't mean higher are, like in Brian. a cannabis way. <laughs> you, you, you got me on that one. Uh, you, you are, and we still think 4,200 on the S&P and 19,500 on the TSX, and we think Canada gives good value, but there's still a lot of great ideas out there. And, and from a value perspective, we're going to get more cyclical, but that doesn't mean sell your tech and communication services. So there's so many great companies in the United States, and I think too much has been lost on this momentum trade. It, it's fun and everything, but this is about investing, and we have the best companies in the world, so go buy some. 
Yeah, by the way, AMC is up 234%. So what we can do is we can rent Call of Duty 3 on our way to the movie theater with our BlackBerry. Brian Belsky, Julia Coronado, Subhadra Rajapa, great stuff all. Really appreciate your insight. Big day. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, whoo, the CEO of the single biggest solar IPO ever is here. And what exactly that may signal. Plus, the global economy, the rally, the new administration, oh, and the extreme volatility. We're going to speak with that man, former Barclay CEO Bob Diamond, about all that, his new SPAC, and more. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. And welcome back to The Exchange. Here's a check on the macro markets, by the way. There's a lot more going on than just a couple of stocks like GameStop, although that's getting a lot of attention. Dow Industrials right now, they're actually well off their lows. At one point, they were down nearly 600, 584. They're now down just under 300, still down 299 points, but less than 1% right now. Energy, by the way, is the only macro sector that is higher. Oil, by the way, nearing my $55 year in prediction. Go figure there. Communication services and healthcare, your biggest laggards in the macro market right now. But we are seeing the Dow well off its lows. All right, now let's get a CNBC News update. And for that, who else but Superwell? <laughs> Good to see you, Brian. Thanks so much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. The Department of Homeland Security has issued a national terrorism advisory warning of a heightened threat of domestic terrorism from people frustrated with the outcome of the presidential election. DHS has not mentioned any specific threats. Apple is urging people to update numerous products, including iPhones, iPads and iCloud software for Windows and for Mac. This to fix security flaws that might have been exploited by hackers. Walmart says it is building robot-filled warehouses at its stores. The robots will fetch groceries and have them ready for shoppers to pick up in an hour or less. This video shows a previous robot test from 2017. And the most active volcano in Indonesia has erupted, sending a river of lava down its slopes and blasting gas and dust thousands of feet into the air. Officials say that eruption could be heard 18 miles away. You are up to date, Brian. I will send it back to you on a busy day. Yeah, so we're going to be dodging robots in the Walmart aisles. <laughs> yes, we will be. Is that the headline? Yep. Robot cleanup on aisle two. Aisle two six. Herrera. Thank you very much. You got it. <laughs> Take me around. All right, coming up. It is one of the most owned stocks in the market, if not the most. Apple set to release their earnings after the bell with the stock near all-time highs. What exactly does Tim Cook have to deliver to make Wall Street happy? And Boeing weighing on the Dow today after posting a miss in their fourth quarter earnings due to a big charge it will take for the delay of its 777X. CEO David Calhoun sounded optimistic about the future of travel demand when he joined CNBC earlier today. But I do think in the second half, we get to midsummer and we really do think the penetration of that vaccine is where it needs to be. I do think it's going to come back. I've said it all along. There will be robust demand when the time comes. There's a lot of pent-up demand, both in, both in personal and in business travel. 
And welcome back to The Exchange. President Biden set to hold a news conference focusing today on climate change. He made climate change a campaign priority, and he is expected to sign executive orders that will push forward that agenda. The emphasis on green and renewable initiatives has given a bump to renewable energy stocks. Take a look at the biggest solar ETF, ticker, what else? TAN, T-A-N, up 65% in the past 90 days. Well, today, there's a new player in town. That is Shoals Technologies, solar energy company, raising nearly $2 billion in what will be the biggest solar IPO ever. Stock began trading just a few minutes ago, and you can see there, it is higher. Let's bring in now Shoals Technology Group CEO, Jason Whitaker. Jason, welcome. We should say you're new to the public markets, but you're not new. You yourself have been there 11 years. The company's been there a long time. You make something called Balance of System and other products as well. Tell our audience exactly what you do. So, Brian, first of all, you know, thank you for having us on your show. And, and, and I'd really like to start off by saying what a phenomenal day it's been. Uh, I'm very proud of our team and their operational excellence. You know, our team truly places their heart and soul right in the center of everything we do. And without this level of dedication and hard work, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. So, so I really appreciate that. You know, in, when you look at, at Shoals and EBOS, so what we do is we provide mission-critical electrical solutions that are really needed to make solar energy projects work efficiently and safely and reliably. And when you look at this technology, you know, it comprises of a suite of products that we refer to as EBOS, as you just mentioned. And in solar, this really encompasses all the components that are necessary to carry the power that's produced from the panels all the way back out to the grid. But the exciting part about EBOS is that it's also required for energy storage applications as well as EV charging infrastructure. There's a huge amount of optimism around renewables and the infrastructure, especially with the Biden administration and Congress. There's talk about money for infrastructure, tax benefits for various states that on top of some that, by the way, already exist. Are you seeing a level of interest from your clients, Jason, that would mimic what we are hearing? Does it feel like what's happening on the ground is the same as the words? So, yeah, we're, I mean, we're very excited about our future and, you know, solar's become the cheapest source of new energy generation available. And, you know, when you look at all the mega trends that are driving, you know, global electrification and decarbonization, the nice part about it is they really transcend policy and politics. But with that in mind, you know, we've performed exceptionally well over the past few years. And, you know, we only see additional tailwinds being added with the new administration, even further accelerating our growth. About 12 percent of U.S. energy production is going to come offline in the next decade, whether it's just a coal plant that's being shut down, nuclear that's being shut down, something that's too old to continue to run. At the same time, demand for power is going to surge, A, through population growth, B, data centers, your smartphone, right? Air conditioning. Everybody wants to live where it's warm now. So we're reducing capacity, but, we, we're, but demand is going to soar. How much more power, Jason, are we going to need as a nation in the next 10 or 20 years? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And when you look, just, you know, referencing your benchmark, you know, 12%, you know, right now, solar, again, is the cheapest source, you know, of energy generation available. And it's also the, the least expensive, you know, source of power to operate. And when you look at the construction time, it's also the shortest to construct. 
And when you compare that 12% that you mentioned to the fact that 3% of the energy that we consume today comes from renewables, there is a lot of upside when you look at the renewable sector. Yeah, and there's a lot of upside on your stock, Jason Whitaker. I think maybe you and your family's life changed a lot today. I certainly certainly hope so as well. Stock has done very well. By the way, are you named after Muscle Shoals? Because that's where one of your facilities is. Absolutely. So we have four facilities, uh, three in Tennessee, one in Alabama, and we're right in the heart of Muscle Shoals. We should have come in with some Leonard Skinner or something then on the way in. I mean, we missed our opportunity there, dropping Muscle Shoals. Jason Whitaker, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Shoals Technology Stock. Yeah, you're very welcome. And congrats to you and all your team as well. All right. We're about 20 minutes out from the Fed's rate decision. Well, non-decision decision. And nearly an hour from Jay Powell's news conference, because that's going to be key. The listening for change on any language on tapering or interest rates. Up next, former Barclays CEO Bob Diamond is here. Weigh in on that. His new SPAC, the markets. Hey, whatever we want to talk about, Bob can handle. And the moves in names like GameStop catching the attention, by the way, of many including the White House. Listen to this. Jen Psaki, White House spokesperson, speaking just a few moments ago. Our team is, of course, our economic team, including Secretary Yellen and others, are monitoring uh, the situation. It's a good reminder, though, that the stock market isn't the only measure of the health of our, econo- of our economy. All right, welcome back. Dow's down about 351, but I know all the attention's on just a couple of stocks that have been just battling out between the retail investors and hedge funds. And by the way, the retail investors, they've been winning in a big way. GameStop up 122% right now, or 180 bucks AMC, Cost Corp, and Express. Who wants to join me with a skinny tie, go to the mall and peg our jeans? That stock, the apparel company Express, by the way, all those names are being traded in a big way. All right, let's talk more now about the macro environment as well, maybe the market structure, his new SPAC, and everything in between. Joining us is former Barclays CEO Bob Diamond, current CEO of Atlas Merchant Capital and chairman of a new SPAC, Concord Acquisition. Bob, appreciate you coming on. And what a day, by the way. We've been going back and forth for a while. I'm really glad to have you on. Um, you know, as somebody that ran a big bank and a big trading operation, when you see what's going on between the David's trouncing the Goliath in some respects, at least with these stocks. How do you how do you take it in? What are you thinking when you watch it? Well, Brian, as you know, I'm a I'm a bond guy. So I've watched this probably with with more interest listening to you and everyone talk about it today. I think the biggest thing I've done today is try and keep the staff off the screens. Everyone's following it. Um, You know, it's it's uh, I'm trying to get everyone back to work. Do you think this is, forget about, forget about, and this is not a knock on the internet or whatever it might be. Do you think that when we talked about 140%, you know, of short ratios on stocks, whatever it might be, do you think this is a, is a healthy market, Bob? So I haven't really followed it that closely, seriously, as I'm not a single stock guy, but it, it does look like some single stocks that are somewhat thinly traded. Um, and, you know, we've seen short, short sales or short squeezes, I should say, before. And, and um, so I don't think this is that abnormal in the market. Well, let me ask you this. As a bond guy, you really care about interest rates. It is the Fed day. You get a lot of people that suggest, hey, if we've got these levels of rates, effectively zero, for this long and longer, and QE and everything else, 
what did anyone expect to happen but this? Do you think that the Fed and rates plays a role in equities moving higher and bond yields well under, at least they were, 1%? So I think it's all of those things, Brian. So uh, the Fed has been very, very focused and very, very concerned about doing everything they can to keep liquidity um, in the financial markets, to encourage uh, the Treasury to provide uh, fiscal stimulus, uh, and everything really relies on a uh, efficient, um, successful rollout of the vaccine over the next two to three months. And I just don't think the Fed is going to let up, and we'll hear more about that today. And if if they go a little bit too far, um, is our economy in the U.S. and globally better off? Absolutely, it's much better off if they go a little bit too far to make sure we get through. Uh, the rollout of the vaccine than if we were a little bit short before we, we went out. So, sure, there's some liquidity in the market. With rates? We've seen that in houses. We've seen that in bonds. We've seen it in equities. Some of the valuations are they're not necessarily too high, Brian. I think the way I would say it is they're high relative to the stage of the recovery. So the markets are discounting um, that we're going to get through the vaccine rollout and begin a quite strong economic recovery. Yeah, roaring 20s, whatever you want to call it, Bob. When you say go too far, do you mean by keeping rates at or near low or by doing direct bond buying through QE and these other programs or both? Just generally all of the programs. Listen, it's been it's been big. It's been uh, consistent. Um, I think from the from the very, very beginning, the reaction uh, to make sure that we keep liquidity in the markets and that there's, um, you know, things being done to ensure that we get through the COVID, uh, the pandemic, and get through the vaccine rollout. So I think it's the programs all together I'm, re I'm referring to, yeah. Are, are you a believer in this idea? I mean, we can all debate about the vaccines, and I've been a little more optimistic out there. I think the pace is going to accelerate. But are you a believer that there will be this incredible economic boom in the back half of this year and then on into 2022? Uh, I Yes. Um, the, the, the very direct answer is yes. Uh, Larry Cantor and I, you know, jo jointly wrote a piece uh, recently. And I think if you can assume an effective and efficient rollout uh, of the vaccine over the next three to four months, and you look at the potential of all of the stimulus that's been put in and a lot of the pent up demand, then it's a pretty rosy scenario for economic recovery in the second half of this year and into 2022. So 100%, I agree with what you say. But is that already built into the markets? Not making asking you to make a stock prediction, Bob, but is it already built into all well, the markets? Lumber, yeah, whatever it might be. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think what I was saying, Brian, is somewhat similar to what you're just implying there, which is that I think prices, whether they're equity prices, bond prices, home prices, real estate, they probably reflect that there's an expectation that we will have an, an, an effective rollout of the vaccine over the next three to four months. I actually mm -hmm. think that's probably the right, the right thing to discount that. But I think prices do reflect, they're looking forward, the markets are looking forward at the economic recovery in the second half of this year and into, into 2022. So absolutely. Very quickly, you got a new SPAC focusing hopefully on financial transactions, a blank check company, Concord Acquisition. Have you found any good targets yet, Bob? So we can't say because we haven't announced anything, but we just came out of a couple of hours with the team and 
You know, we have uh, Jeff Tudor, who's come in as our CEO, and on the board we have Tom King, who succeeded me at Barclays Capital, Henry Helgeson, who founded uh, Kion, Larry Leibowitz, a legend in the technology area, Pete Ord, a graduate of uh, Goldman Sachs, and Rich Ritchie on our, our board and our advisory board. And I mm -hmm. think uh, we feel good about looking at financial technology and being able to identify and then uh, be able to agree terms and execute and drive growth um, in a uh, in a merger partner. So we're very optimistic, but it's still early days. Yep. Um, and we do think that there's it is some, early, you know, but it. No, I was going to say you're part we're, of it, Bob. You're, you're, go ahead. I was going to say one of the things that we're finding is uh, is we look at potential partners, and we talk to our largest investors who want to be a part of the pipe as we execute on a potential transaction, mm -hmm. one of the reasons that the SPAC structure is so um, accepted in the markets today is uh, once uh, a target is identified and the NDAs are signed, then potential investors are allowed to talk to the management team about you know, how's that business gonna roll out over the next couple of years. And that's something that the traditional IPO process doesn't yeah. allow. So I think having a competition to traditional IPO they're here to stay, traditional IPOs as well. Uh, but having a SPAC process as well is bringing some some good competition into yeah. the market. And I think it's good it's good for the uh, for the public markets. Bob Diamond, Bob, we appreciate your views on all things. And what a wild day, by the way. Tell your team to get off. Well, tell them to keep watching CNBC. I go That's back fine. And find them but right also, now. To, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're all crowded around. Bob Diamond, a real pleasure. Happy New Year to you, Bob, to you and your team. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Happy New Year, Brian. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, still had a look at what to expect from Apple tonight. Apple set to release their numbers out tonight. Let's find out what is key. Amit Daryanani, fundamental research analyst at Evercore ISI, joining us now. Amit, good to see you again. What are the one or two key numbers you and your team are going to watch for tonight? Boy, right, I, I feel like I have to say one has to be the iPhone units that they come out with. And, you know, within that, what do they think supply chain or supply chain really looks like for December and March? That'll be one thing. The other one that people have focused less on could be for upside is gross margins. How does the FX and the commodity tailwinds bleed into gross margins, which I think is less talked about, but again, could be a nice driver for EPS here. It used to be called Apple Computer. I'm not sure we've talked about computers, Amit, in years, but you say MacBook numbers may actually matter this quarter. How come? You know, uh, Macs and iPads, both of them for that matter, have been surprising people with double digit, right? 20, 30% kind of growth for the last few quarters. Uh, partially a reflection of the pandemic, I would argue you're going through a fundamental shift here again with PCs or Macs, where we're going from one PC per household to one PC per person. Uh, I think that will matter. You could have a lot longer legs on the consumer deployment of PCs over the next several years and enable this double digit growth. Yeah, really hadn't even thought about that. You got to buy the computer because nobody wants to zoom all day on a phone. What kind of guidance, if any, do you think we might see tonight, Amit? You know, uh, I suspect they will give us qualitative guide, much as they've given us in the past. Um, so I think you get qualitative guide. But the part that I find very fascinating, um, streets modeling sales down 30% in March. That's in line to seasonal. Chances are with channel fill and the demand is seeing this could be better than seafood guide from them. Amit Daryanani, Evercore ISI. I'll let you get ready. Big numbers tonight from Apple. Amit, thanks for coming on CBC. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that does it for us here on a very busy The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. 
Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 